Dear sir, today I heard that most probably you were the one who betrayed me. I went through 10 months of concentration camp. My father died 10 days later. My sister, after 10 months of imprisonment. What you meant to be harmful, God used for my good. I have become closer to him. I have prayed for you that the Lord will accept you if you return to him. Think about the fact that the Lord Jesus also carried your sins on the cross. If you accept that and will be his child, you will be saved forever. I have forgiven you everything. This is an excerpt from a biography on Corrie ten Boom. This letter was written June 19th, 1945. Just a month earlier, uh, the Netherlands had just been released from German control. Uh, Corrie ten Boom, as you may have known, was a Jew. The letter that she's writing is addressed to, uh, he's not specified what his name is, but he was the man that betrayed her family and reported her and her family to the Gestapo. From there, she was sent to prison. I was uh, doing my research last night because, I mean, I've been familiar with the story of Corrie Ten Boom at a surface level. But hearing about the atrocities of the prison camps um, made it difficult to sleep. I mean, I get spooked easily, but this was, this was different. Um, and I'm not going to share many details just because I'll let you do the research as your stomach allows you. Um, but these prison camps were, they would, they would be bad conditions for animals. And um, her father was not very strong, and immediately within 10 days, he, he passed. And she didn't even hear about it or know about it until two months after, because they kept them separate. Um, in the concentration camp, she was, um, many, many of them died of starvation. In fact, most of them didn't survive. And um, towards the end of her tenure there, uh, her sister, Betsy, her dearest companion and friend, uh, died of starvation. So how did she forgive? How was she able to forgive the person who is ultimately responsible for her ending up in the worst hell imaginable? And to answer this question, we're going to look at Matthew 18. Um, so if you all could turn there, I'm going to start in verse 23. Again, that's Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles with you, if you're taking notes, this would be a good time to write that down. Um, so just a little context for this story. Peter asks a question, and in, in asking, it seems like he's trying to impress Jesus. He says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? Now, this is significant because a lot of uh, Jewish rabbis who were contemporaries at that time 
were saying that three times was acceptable. Three times was plenty. So Peter is trying to be impressive here. He's like, how about seven times? And Jesus is like, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. And I can just envision Peter and the other disciples are like trying to do math. They're like 70 times seven, 490. So at 491, I stopped forgiving, right? That's not what Jesus is getting at. So this question that Peter asks prompts a story time with Jesus. So let's start in verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who was brought to him owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master, the king, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now to understand what this looks like and something that we can tangibly grasp in today's terms, um, different commentaries try to convert what 10,000 talents would be like. Um, and the range is anywhere from $1 billion to $6 billion. And Jesus uses this figure of 10,000 talents because he's trying to express how laughable it was to think that that poor servant could pay back that debt. Notice how the servant says, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. But in the story, the king knew full well that that was never gonna happen. Why? Because servants in that time, the best servants, the highest price you could fetch for a servant was about one talent in comparison to 10,000. I don't have 10,000 fingers, I'm sorry. Um, and so him being sold and his family, let's say he had a family, a household of eight to 10 in his house, maximum. That covers 10 talents, a small percentage. And so what we would think is in response to this great mercy that this servant had received, that he would be grateful. This is an unbelievable act of mercy. You would think he would be grateful. However, the servant does the unthinkable. Let's move on to verse 28. He says, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But the servant refused and went to put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and went and reported to their master all that was taking place had taken place. 
I think it's very easy for us to immediately write off the wicked servant and say, I would never be like that. I would never do that. But I think understanding just some of the numbers here might help us. A hundred denarii, that's about a hundred days of wages. And if you convert that, the same week we converted the 10,000 talents, we're looking at about 12000 to $14,000. And here's the thing. Something else to remember is that this servant had somehow gained possession of these $12,000 by his own hard work. Those were dollars that belonged to him at one point. And somehow, he was, uh, he had, in some way or another, he had lost that to, or loaned that out to a servant, a fellow friend of his, and he had not received that money back, not one penny. But at the same time, we need to remember something else is that, that that sum of 100 denarii, $12,000, is one six thousandth, six hundred thousandth of his original debt. So there's a comparison, okay? Once again, I don't have 600,000 fingers, I'm sorry. And I'm gonna, I wanna illustrate this a little bit more tangibly, so I'm gonna have my friends Connor come up, and Aiden, are you here? Or just go to lunch. All right, I need another volunteer. Josh, I saw you. Okay. Josh, I'm sorry, you're a very bad driver. Just so you know, you're gonna stand right here. Okay. Connor, you're gonna come over here and stand right next to him on this side. Oop, oop, oop. There we go. Okay. What you're gonna do is you're gonna put both of your hands on his, not, not tight, we're not gonna choke anybody out, don't worry. You're gonna put both of your hands on his neck, okay? <laughs> okay. Yeah, get your laps out, that's okay. <laughs> so this is what, Connor, I'm sorry, today you're a wicked servant, I'm sorry. And what you're saying to him is pay back to Josh, pay back what you owe. Now what happened? Okay, this definitely happened. Josh asked Connor to borrow his Ford Fusion. It's a nice car, okay? You know. And Josh was like, I need to go to student ministry, blah, 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 all this stuff. So he's driving through Rochester, somehow is not paying attention. He's having a theological argument with Aaron Newberger, and he's not paying attention. And what happens is he drives off right in front of a bridge and he's submerged in the Genesee River. Luckily, everybody else gets out, everybody's safe, everybody's fine. The Ford Fusion is totaled, gone. It's at the bottom of the Genesee River. It's not even worth trying to get out at this point because someone had the windows down. Anyway, so it's gone. All right, you can, you can, actually I need your hands back on his neck again. <laughs> All right, so in Connor's heart and mind, he's saying pay back what you owe right? Josh, your hands are free, right? All right. I want you to pretend like you're just filing your taxes, going around your daily life, okay? You're just, there's not much, he's just living life. 
Connor, I want you, with your hands still on his neck, I want you to file your taxes. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. His hands are tied. His hands are tied. I want you to write a sermon with your hands. No, no, can't take your hands off his, off his neck. See, this is what often happens with us, is we think as we, all right, you guys are all set. Thank you, you can step down. Give him a round of applause, everybody. We think that when we are demanding justice from another person and we are holding them hostage in our heart, we send them back to the prison of our hearts and our emotions. We think that we are getting control of them. But in reality, they're not really impeded that much. All they can feel is our anger towards them. It's not fixing anything. What it's doing is it's debilitating us. We got our hands tied. We can't do anything. We are preoccupied with trying to get justice on our own terms. And I want you to remember this as we go on to the next part of the story. In verse 32. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And this is, this is the result of the story is that the servant got what he wanted. What he wanted was a justice which he understood. What he wanted was to get justice on his own terms. But what he didn't realize and appreciate is that he had been given something much better, and that's mercy. So what's the moral of the story? Verse 35 is a pretty good summarization right here. It says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And a lot of people read this verse and they think, oh gosh, if I don't forgive, that's like the unpardonable sin. I'm not, I'm not saved. Like, and there, there's this fear about it when they hear this in Scripture. And, and for me, this was me a lot as well, as I would just skip over this part. You know, that doesn't make sense to me. But I think a better way of understanding this is that if you receive the love of God... If you receive the mercy of God, you are not going to hold on to unforgiveness with other people. But there's, there's another thing that I want to focus, because this is often a misconception that keeps a lot of people in bondage. And that's my heart, is that there are people in this room that are holding on to things and is causing them to live in bondage because they don't understand that there's freedom and forgiveness. And some people think that forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing. They're not. Forgiveness is when someone who has been offended lets go of the offense. Reconciliation is when two parties, two people, come together and they both admit their faults and they both work towards moving forward. 
But notice in this story that I read at the very beginning, Corey Ten Boom forgave this man before she even had a chance to meet with him. Was that reconciliation? No, not yet. It was forgiveness. She let go on her end, and she was released from the bondage of bitterness and unforgiveness. And just like I illustrated with the story here, forgiveness is unforgiveness isn't hurting the other person, it's hurting you, right? If your hands are on another person's throat trying to get justice your way, what's gonna happen is your hands are tied and you are the one being hurt and eaten alive by the bitterness. So how do we respond to this today? So, so let's go back to where we started. What, what do we learn from this story? The wicked servant failed to see how he had been forgiven, so he failed to forgive. We are empowered to forgive when we realize how we have been forgiven. And just as Corey Ten Boom could forgive the person that subjected her to all that horror, so we can forgive those that trespass against us. So as we close and as we move on to lunch and um, things like that, I want us to think, who in your life has driven your Ford Focus into the river? Who in your life has betrayed you? Now, we might think, it's a small debt, it's a big debt, it doesn't matter. It's not about the number, right? It's not about how much it costs. It's about how small that offense is in comparison to the debt that's been forgiven in our lives.